Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. This episode of the podcast features a conversation with Craig Dealey, stand-up comedian and improv performer with Foghorn Unscripted. He's also very active on Twitter, where he has over 16,000 followers. We talk a little bit about his history in comedy, the comedy circuit, and how he approaches creativity and comes up with his comedy material. Before we go to the conversation, could I ask you please to subscribe to the podcast and also share it and comment on it as much as possible, because the more that you do that, the more people will have a chance to hear it and hopefully join the community and enjoy the content that we're putting out. You can find me at robertlaymusic.co.uk and all over social media. And as Craig mentions at the end of our conversation, you can find him in various places online as well. Okay, here's Craig Dealey. Craig Dealey, hello. Hi, Rob. How are you? <laughs> I'm okay, thank you. Good. Is it warm enough for you? It's, it's it could be warmer. It you could know. be warmer. No, it I, I joke. I, I I don't like the warmth. Oh. No, it's killing me. Oh, okay. It's slowly killing me. I see. Have you had any gigs recently in the hot temperatures? Or you? I saying? went to a gig last night. I it's went worse. to uh, I went to the <laughs> Alex Theatre to watch. This is going to hurt. Oh. By Adam Kay. Oh. it's like the live oh, version the of his book. Oh, yeah, great. Um, okay. It's a fantastic show. Thank God it's a very short show because God, I was, it was really? I was slowly melting into my seat. Yeah, it's not good, is it? We, yeah. we did a show last night with the intellectuals in a tiny little room above a pub, and it was baking. It, it, it feels like if, it's like being in Edinburgh or something. Then on those yeah, tiny yeah. rooms that you sneak into, yeah. but it, yeah, I you know, and one of the cast is pregnant as well. So that's always interesting. <laughs> but she was <laughs> she was fine. Um, good. So uh, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about creativity and stuff, really. Mm-hmm. So I think for anyone listening in, it would be good just to get a bit of your your history, if that's possible. My creative history. Your creative history. Where did this begin? Um, well, I have always, ever since I can remember, I've always written stuff. I've always like written stories and scripts and stuff like that. Even when I was little, I used to draw comics as well. Okay. Make up my own superheroes, and um, I was a massive fan of Carry On films, so I used to mm-hmm. make my own Carry On comics. Um, I've still got them in my loft somewhere Um, and then uh, when I was at university I was in a couple of plays and then I had my own show on the university radio station and I used to write my own little skits for that so like a a comedy sort of advice spot and a handy hint spot (laughs) and then um, years passed and I didn't really do anything with it and then I saw a friend of mine and myself went to the Crescent Theatre in Birmingham to watch a friend of ours in a show and we thought oh this seems like a really nice place so we both joined the Crescent so then I started acting and then I did a, a course in stand-up comedy mm-hmm. about 15 years ago because I saw it advertised and I thought what do they teach you how can they teach you to do stand-up and uh, it was brilliant absolutely loved it it was the the teachers were um, James Cook who's a local comedian and Janice Connolly who is Mrs Barbara Nice of Britain's Got Talent, off the telly. Mm. And it was a brilliant course. And they taught you everything from, you know, what to do with the mic, to how to book gigs, to um, honing your writing skills. And every couple of weeks we'd perform for the rest of the group. And at the end of the at the end of the course, we had to do a showcase for the public. And I thought, well, if, if this goes well, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll carry on. So um, it did go well. 
So I started booking myself some open spots. And then um, after about six months, Andy White, who was another local comedian, used to run a night at the Bear in Bearwood, mm-hmm. which is was a long-established comedy club that Frank Skinner used to run. And um, and Andy White was running it then. And he said, if you can you know, give me 20 minutes, I'll, I'll pay you. So that was my first pay gig at the Bear. And I think... I think I was in the middle. I think Jason Manford was opening. Okay. So that's how long ago it was. I can't remember who closed. Um, so, yeah, so it started from there, really. And, and where then, was the course, sorry? The course that... was at Midlands Arts Centre. Okay, at the Mac, yeah. At the Mac. Um, and it was great. It was a 10-week course, but it uh, it really did teach me a lot. Yeah. Fantastic. That's great. And then how did the improv Improv came well? into my life... Um, it appeared one night through a gap in the clouds. Um, no, I... Uh, how did it come about? I was... I'd always loved watching it, but I'd never properly done it before. And I think it's one of these things that you think, I think I'm quite funny, so I'm, I'm sure I'm good at improv. And there was, a, there was a group called Fun Bags. And I can't remember how it came about, but I became a member of Fun Bags with a few local improvisers. And it was great because I realised I knew nothing about improv, like the, the science behind it and the rules. And mm-hmm. So I d- we did that and we performed as well um, for a couple of years. And then the band sort of diminished. And then uh, I joined Box of Frogs, uh, which was like a drop-in Tuesday night um, tryout, really, just, just mucking about, really. And occasionally we, I'd perform with them. And yeah, I really enjoyed it because I, yeah, as I said, I knew nothing about the rules. I didn't know anything about the history of improv. I just, I just based my knowledge of improv on uh, whose line is it anyway, yeah. which I was a massive fan of. Um, and I, I just really started to, to, to love it. Um, I loved playing the games, and then I got more and more interested in the longer form stuff, which is what I do now. Mm-hmm. And that's with that's with Foghorn Unscripted. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so after uh, Box of Frogs, a few of us sort of uh, formed our own group which uh, was called Foghorn Improv. Um, we're a very big group, yourself included, in that group. And then um, uh, the, the lineup changed again, and we decided to become a touring company. Um, didn't do much touring, though. Um, and we changed the name to Foghorn Unscripted. So. Okay. So when you were first getting into improv, the stand-up and the improv were kind of existing at the same time? They were existing at the same time. and I, I, a lot they of, still do. They still do. And a lot of stand-ups, I think, do improv because they think they can just gag their way through it. And uh-huh. gagging is a real no-no. And I, 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 I did that when I first started. You don't realise it's a no-no until you look at the rules behind it because, you know, you, you can just stop somebody's train of thought with a an easy joke so you know it's funny mm-hmm. the audience like it but then where'd you go from there mm-hmm. you've kind of ruined the scene then so there's so much more behind it I, I certainly didn't know and i'm sure that people who don't know about improv wouldn't know as well it's not just getting on and you know playing a game you know guess you know guess what this person's quirk is or that sort of thing being as funny as you can be yourself in that moment as yeah. Well. yeah yeah so which is a kind of an opposite skill perhaps it would seem to be in a stand-up it in is a stand-up you're looking after yourself you've got to be funny you've got to get yeah. the laughs kind of depends what your, your style is i guess but as quick as you can you've got to get the laughs exactly you're responsible for it which is slightly different skill to what you're looking it's for it's totally in. the opposite yeah you've got to you've got to listen you've got to you've got to be a team player and you've got to be funny. You, there's a I don't know who came up with the saying, but we use the, the saying: steal the scene, but don't steal the show. Okay. So you can have your moment in the scene. Yes. But don't make it all about you. Yeah. And there are some. Sometimes you do a show where you might happen to play the lead. Some shows where 
you're you know you're the bridesmaid yeah. you know which is fine because you're still a really important part of it yeah you know it, it's, for some people it's hard to to take that in that you you know you're not always going to be the main attraction yeah. especially stand ups so used to working on their own yeah um but i i'm happy to be a team player because i i'm still learning i've been doing improv now for God, I can't remember how many years seven eight eight nine years and i'm still learning mm. yeah mm. That's good. And how has that informed stand-up as well, having those skills from improv? It's, I, when I first started doing it, I thought it would make me um, a brilliant compare. Because I used to do a bit comparing, but it was me basically just doing my set, split into sections. Mm-hmm. And then saying, and, bring and, it, now, and now, welcome Fred. to the stage. <laughs> um, but it didn't. Uh, but what it has done, it's made me more confident to rely on my instincts more. Mm. So I'm I'm not scared anymore to have a chat with someone in the audience or if something happens, I find I can react to it more quickly than I used to. Right. But it's not about it's not about it making you funnier. It's just making you more confident in certain more comfortable areas. with comfortable, the unexpected, yeah. I guess. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's good. And I've you know, from my experience of doing improv performance wise it's done that, but just in life generally as well. Sort of if you're concerned about things, there's a sort of element of you where you think, yeah, well, yeah. It, what's the worst that could possibly happen yeah. and there's going to be a way around it and or if I end up looking a bit daft it's not potentially exactly. hopefully not going to kill me so yeah. they'll, you know there's going to be a yeah. way around it cool that's good um, so when it comes to actually joke writing then yeah what's your process for that is it always the same how does that work um, I think my style has changed a lot since I first started when I first started I was more more like stories and little scenes, really. Um, but I've more developed more, I think, into a... a I'm going to say one-liner, but it's not really one-liner. It's like one-liner jokes as part of stories, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's a story, but it's based around these very short jokes. So my process now is I pretty much live on Twitter, and I test all my new jokes out on there okay. um, with varying degrees of success. Um and if, if if people retweet it, if a lot of people like it, then I know it's got legs. And so I'll do something with it. I'll maybe reword it a bit or see where that would fit into my existing set um, if it takes off. If it really takes off, then I'll delete it because um, people steal jokes. That's one of the downsides of it. But I'll, I'll kind of gauge how well it's doing before I uh, take it off there and then put it into my set. And does that mean then that there's quite a fast turnaround of having to come up with yeah i'm i'm i mean i i my twitter feed is a mix of brand new stuff and stuff that i might have done a long time ago yeah that i brought back to see if it's still that i haven't that i don't use in my set yeah just to see if it's still got something so i will listen to conversations i'll um use i don't know phrases well-known phrases or proverbs in my head and see if I can twist the end to make it into a funny punchline. Yeah. Or um, I will talk to my family. Yeah. Because families are always a great source of entertainment. Of course. Yeah. Uh, particularly parents. Yeah. Um, or just I'll just look at, the, look at the ridiculousness of certain aspects of life. So I'll, you know, watch. I'm not a political comedian, but I'll watch the news and base some stuff on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all there's all it's all based on an element of some sort of truth, whether the truth is something I've seen or heard, or a, a phrase or a saying or a proverb, whatever that I've adapted to my own end. So there's, it's always based on something. Mm. And I find that easier to write than a whole sort of monologue story. I'm, I don't think I'm a natural storyteller. 
Okay. Some people are, mm-hmm. and they're really good at it. I prefer because I I I I get I'm scared that people are going to get bored listening to me tell a story. I've always thought that, so I think I should punctuate it with little short jokes to keep their interest up. And is that sort of a reflection on the what you like then in terms of other people's? No, it's not. I I like all sorts of comedy. I love character comedy. I like people that can, um, which is something I'm trying to do. Um, incorporate other characters into their set. We'll do different voices, different uh-huh. accents. Um, I like variety in in in, uh, in in someone's set, but I also love sort of one liner comics like Gary Delaney, people like that. You know. Um, uh, what's it called Stuart uh, Francis as well that kind of just one line it doesn't relate to anything it's just one line joke like three seconds long that's it next joke yeah so I, I like that mm-hmm. so my style is a mix of that and storytelling mm-hmm. yeah. and that's a style as you said sort of oh, keep hitting my watch over. <laughs> sort of organically developed yeah from from when I first started yeah because it was all pretty much stories that I just you know just jotted down mm-hmm. and just trotted out and there wasn't really much. So it was a funny premise, but there wasn't much funny happening until I got to the end of the bit of the story. Yeah. Whereas now I think, I hope so, I've got like funny bits every couple of seconds. In and the story. you're probably still communicating the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just yeah. funnier, I guess. Well, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's so. kind of objective. It's, it's hilarious. It's <laughs> absolutely it's hilarious. hilarious. So funny. Uh, good. So the Twitter thing I find interesting as well. Like you have a quite. A Huge following on Twitter. I would. Uh, quite, yeah, quite a big. I've, what are we I've worked at, at it? Not that you um, know the number off the top of your head. But um, it's around fifteen point six thousand. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, about there. But I've, I think I've worked for it because I've been on there about ten years, and sometimes I, I look back at when I first started on Twitter, and it was just like. Um, it's like a diary, going to the gym, or just have me lunch. I thought, who cares about that? Yes. So I thought, what is? Twi-? I didn't know what Twitter was for, and then it hit me. Actually, yeah, Twitter's for. For, for using to your own advantage. People yes. use it to market their business. Yeah, People yeah. use it for all sorts of things. Uh, and I realised Twitter was for me telling jokes. And you were in fairly early doors, I guess, I, as well. I think I started it, I think probably about 2009, 2008, 2009. Yeah. When it was just really finding its feet. It's been around a bit. It's been then, around. But then, yeah. yeah, it sort of changed, didn't changed, it? Became... Yeah, it's changed. It changes all the time. Mm. It really does. It's it's a completely different animal now to what it was before. But there's still people that I know on there that we all we consider each other friends, even though we've never met in real life generally. And uh, it's on the one hand, it's still a community. You've still got your. I mean, I I follow thousands of people. I don't know hardly any of them, um, but there's a core of them who I think we are all quite good friends in inverted commas yeah because we've been there together from the beginning communicating with each other retweeting each other's jokes uh and just chatting really commenting on things you know yeah so uh, it has it's changed a lot but the world has changed a lot that's why yes yeah, yeah certainly it has not over the last couple of years as well and uh, has comedy changed then in that time that you've been aware i think so yeah i think it's um it's gone from um, you know, be careful what you say to um, why should we be careful what we say to be careful what you say, but do it anyway. You yeah. know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, I don't know. It's like the whole, you know, recently the whole thing with the, like the Joe brand thing, you know, where she, about people throwing milkshakes at politicians and she yeah. said, why make waste milkshake when you use battery acid? Yeah. I mean, that's clearly up as a joke. 
And clearly she's not inciting people to go and throw battery acid on people. So it's got to that stage now. You've really got to, people want free speech, but on their terms, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. The people that cry that, oh, you know, we're not allowed any free speech, don't like it when free speech is happening and it's not their idea of it. Yeah. I think as long as you're not offending anyone, as long as you're not being a dick, I think it's fine. As long as you're not offensive, um, as long as you're not a bully, as long as you're not, um, you know, as long as you're not one of the ists, you know, uh, <laughs> then, yeah, fine, do what you want. And it's interesting talking about people not getting the joke because that's one of the running themes, yeah. isn't it, for you? It is. is. Tell yeah. us a bit about that. Okay, so um, there used to be an account on Twitter. Uh, it was called Yes, That's the Joke. Um, this, I don't know, five, six years ago, I think it started. And I was fascinated by it um, because it's basically, it would show people threads of, uh, someone's posted a joke, someone hasn't got the joke, so they're explaining the joke back to the person that posted the joke. Yep. And I was fascinated by this. And then it started happening to me. And then this this account, this that's a joke, they don't post anymore. But um, I, I was fascinated that people were replying to me, not realising that I know it's a joke because I wrote it. <laughs> and they're explaining why it's funny or why it's a joke or why it's not funny. But why, you know, uh, or trying to improve it with their own punchline. Or that you've missed something. Or that I've missed, missed the joke. I've missed the joke. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they reply... I mean, the one bugbear of mine on Twitter is when people reply with, surely, because you know they're going to suggest something, surely you mean such and such. And I think, well, if you write your own joke, then feel free to use that punchline in your own joke. But I, surely I didn't mean that because I would have said that. It's my joke, my punchline. And when people suggest punchlines, I think, well, write your own setup, <laughs> see how easy that is, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. come up with your punchline. Do you count that as being trolled then, some of those? So I suppose it's a kind of passive-aggressive trolling, if you like. So I suppose maybe it is trolling. It's not like proper trolling where people, you know, just come on and say, yeah, fuck you, or, you know, you're, you know, uh, ugly bastard. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. abuse. Um, Do you have, look, have I, you had I, any I've, I have had... Because I think it comes a bit with getting more reach, doesn't it? I mean, it does, yeah. The, the more yeah, reach you've yeah, got, yeah, yeah. a certain percentage, you might get some negativity. or you, yeah. And some of that negativity comes from... Somebody might have something going on with themselves. I think that's exactly. most people I think yeah, too is yeah. the approach. If you've got to try and be kind to people because you don't know where that's mm. coming from necessarily, and of course yeah. it's very anonymous. The internet, so people say things they might not say in person, and all the rest of it. Mm. But for most people I know, it still is a bit of a kick in the knickers sometimes. Yeah, and you can say, "Oh, I just, I just let wash over me. It doesn't bother me." But it, it, it does. It sort of, it sort of jars with me because people have taken the time to write something negative or abusive. I'm lucky that it hasn't happened to me a lot over the years but I look at big massive accounts people mm. like um, you know like Sarah Millican for example she gets loads of abuse for doing just for posting her tour dates or that sort of thing <laughs> people are really vile and there's just no need for it um, and you've got to learn how to deal with it I used to, I used to respond mm. and get into a bit of an argument but now I think no actually I usually now just respond with a thumbs up emoji or just try and be nice and try and Find out what's really going on, you know. Like, yeah, are you okay, Hud? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, I put a, a really, I mean, I, I know some of the jokes I put on Twitter are bad, and that's on purpose because they're not jokes I'm ever going to use live. I just think, oh, this tickled me to myself, so I put it on. And the other day, somebody replied to this joke and wrote, bit of a shit joke, to be honest. And joke was in inverted commas. You know, it's like the equivalent of Daily Mail readers calling someone a so called comedian. <laughs> 
And it, it jarred with me. But then I thought, actually, why does he care? So I just replied with a thumbs up, you know, and I've left it there. I also went through his um, his, his Twitter feed and I found that he's actually made a few jokes as well and they're pretty shit. So I was going to come back <laughs> and say, well, yes, it is shit, but it's no, and then repeat all of his jokes. But I thought, no, actually, yeah. leave it because that's coming down to his level. Yeah. So um, I, now I react quite positively, I think. Either thumbs up or nothing at all, leave it. Yeah. Because I think a good way to deal with bullies or trolls is just to ignore them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I will kill them with kindness, is that the Kill thing, them with kindness, it? yeah. 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 Um, what's your approach, sort of in more general terms, then, to, to criticism itself? So, like, sort of reviews of shows, perhaps, that kind of thing? Um, I find this interesting to see how people... I, I, uh, <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm very scared of it, okay. because, um, you know, when you, when you perform, you put yourself out there, but I've got a very fragile ego underneath a lot of the bravado of stand-up and improv, and I think a lot of people have, and as much as you say, oh, it doesn't bother me, it does. People don't like, you just want to be liked, and if you, people don't like you, I know it's not possible to like everyone all the time, mm-hmm. or to please everyone all the time, but it's like, if you're performing, say you're doing a, you know, a stand-up set, and generally the audience are loving it, but there's one person in the front row with their arms folded, and a real miserable face, that's the one that you're fixated on. And it's the same with reviews. You can get really great reviews and then you get one review that's, not, you know, it might not even be that it's a bad review. It just might be a slightly slightly less good review. But you think, oh, what am I doing wrong? What, what, why don't you like me? I, was, I need to find out where they live and go and, go and track them down and ask, you know, what, 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 what am I doing wrong? <laughs> so it's hard. Yeah, I don't like reviews when they're good. Love them, yeah. But, but do you find the good ones are not as good... As the bad ones are as bad. <laughs> I, you don't, like the good ones well, are like, oh, that's fine. <laughs> You're correct. I, uh, yeah, I look at the good ones <laughs> and I think, uh, I could have written that. Yeah. Um, I, I think the, the first bad review I got was, I'd only just finished the comedy course and I was doing an open spot in Coventry at a pub. And at the last minute, the venue had changed for some reason. So the new venue the audience couldn't fit into the pub. So mm. half the audience were in the room and half were in the beer garden. Okay. So I had to sort of go in and out during my 10-minute open spot, sort of inside, <laughs> then out to the beer garden. And it really threw me. And mm. I wasn't great, mm. you know, I'll admit that. And then I saw, I just happened to see a review on BBC Coventry website, um, you know, so a massive, uh, massive reach. Yeah, sure. Um, and it said, uh, the next act was uh, Craig Dealey, um, fresh out of comedy college, but judging by his act, he'd skipped more lectures than he went to. And I thought, oh, oh, that's a, oh, that's a punch in the stomach. That is. So yeah, I didn't like that at all. And even now, it still hurts. And that was early days. That as was well, wasn't yeah. It, so. That was like within like two or three months of me finishing the comedy course. I was still sort of driving around the country doing five, ten minute unpaid open spots, just trying to get experience, yeah. you know. And that's got that horrible dismissiveness to it, which is the one that's always kind of like. It's that, isn't it? It's that, well, thanks for trying. It's that sort of yeah. thing that's really yeah, gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've chatted to a few musicians about it, and it's like, one pointed out to him, it's someone who's quite big on YouTube. She just sort of like talked about guitar based mm-hmm. on YouTube. And she's got quite a big um, set of subscribers and everything. Um, and she's like, I love it if people don't like the videos because for, you know, however many people don't like them, there's more into it. And I'd rather have yeah. one of those reactions, either people loving it yeah, yeah, or yeah. people hating it. Yeah. It's the indifference that's really 
Mm. And for me, it's that it is the dismissiveness of like, well, you know, he was there. Thanks for trying. Yeah, and because it, it, it's that thing of like, it's the same with your your joke writer, isn't it? And this is a shit joke, as if so, yeah. like I yeah. could have done that. Yeah, it's like, well, do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm better now at accepting criticism from my peers. Mm. And, you know, in the past, if people come up to you, like another actor on the bill might come up and say, oh, that punchline, why don't you try it this way? I used to say, yeah, okay. I think, no, never. It's my thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But now I'm, I've, in the last sort of few years, I've become more open to that. And I have, um, so when I, I do like a new material night, occasionally some of us will meet up beforehand and go over our stuff together. And, and that works really well. And I also worked with um, a guy last year when I was writing my, um, literally the joke show, uh, with uh, this sort of guy who helps comedians as his job. So looking at the structure and um, just order and snappiness, things like that. And it, and it really helped. It really, it really helped because there were bits that I was having trouble. I was having trouble linking certain bits and he made me see a more obvious way to do it. So I'm better at that now. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, I, I also think back to... Um, when we were doing improv in Edinburgh a few years ago, we were doing a show which is family friendly. That was how we played it. And it, um, we were basically all pretending we were like um, 1950s holiday camp reps, like red coats, but we were playing improv games. But there was loads of kids in the audience and it was a packed house every day of the run, every day. And one day we had a reviewer in who, it just wasn't justified what he wrote. I don't mind criticism if it's justified, if it's mm. constructive, but this guy just, I don't think he just, I don't think he liked improv. He didn't get what we were doing. And he was, he started off his review by saying something like, this might not be the worst show at the fringe this year. And that's all oh, <laughs> that sort of set the tone for the rest of the review. And he was, and we, you know, we're playing games with kids and we're, we're giving them a, you know, we're giving them lollipops and sweets and people shouting suggestions out. We were rewarding them with sweets. And he, he called it people, um, people selling their dignity for a lollipop and that sort of thing. And he, um, when we asked for suggestions, right, he was saying, you know, how would they have dealt with it if somebody had shouted, you know, the C word or something like that? And we thought, well, in a child friendly show where it's mainly families, they're not probably not going to see that. And anyone with any sense will look at the kids and think, I'm not going to shout that word. Mm. So I don't, he just didn't know. He didn't know what was going on. And it, I think it was a really unjustified review because mm. mm. it was good. We enjoyed ourselves. The audience loved it and we were getting packed. Out. And some people came back, you know, to see mm. the show again, but that we occasionally get together as a group and we talk about that review because it's, it's, it's quite cathartic to, to talk about that sort of um, damning, uh, judgment, uh, but that's that was. I think that's the only bad review we've got as a improv troupe. I think, mm-hmm. um, but every so often we look at it just to remind ourselves. Actually, we're doing all right, and this isn't what we did. And reviews don't matter. Yeah, yeah. I think what I take away is generally nice reviews are nice, but I don't think they matter really. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't. Um, yeah, I don't. For example, look at someone's poster. Look at the quotes on the poster that doesn't affect whether I'm going to see the show or not. Mm. Um, I'll go and see a show maybe because someone's told me they're good or I've seen them before or I, I know they just seem maybe different to me. I don't read reviews and base whether I'm going to go and see it on that review. Well, that's the, the classic thing about reviews, isn't it? People don't, don't really read them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird, isn't it? Um, it does, that is funny though. To say it might not be the worst show. Because that's a pretty, 
that's quite an achievement. Yeah, <laughs> be the worst yeah, yeah. show at the free. Yeah. I mean, it's almost an achievement worth trying, to be honest, to actually do it on purpose. I don't want to step on other people's toes. <laughs> no, but a lot of people are rocking that, aren't they? So you were talking about that thing about comedians meeting up and sort of yeah. routine in each other's routines and <laughs> going about yeah. material. Is it a supportive circuit in general? I think um, the Birmingham, yeah, the West Midlands scene, because it's not a massive scene, we know a lot of people. A lot of us know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like you know, like London or Manchester has got a massive comedy scene, like really huge. Considering, considering we're the second size city in the country, we have a relatively small comedy scene. But Manchester's massive, mm. so the Birmingham scene is yeah. We generally supportive. Obviously, not everyone gets on. That's like that's life. Mm. But generally, it's very supportive. And when you do local gigs, you look at who else is on and. You think, oh, I'm looking forward to seeing them again. Oh, yeah. that's good. So it's nice to catch up, and you know, yeah, I've made some really good close friends on the on the on the, on the circuit. You know, mm-hmm. um, and it is generally it's very supportive. Generally, that's good. And you kind of have all sort of grown together. Yeah, grown I mean, together. there's there's new generations coming up all the time because mm-hmm. comedy courses now are a really big thing. Mm. And so James, who taught my course, has been doing it ever since, and there are other ones as well that have cropped up uh, locally. So there's more competition. That's the downside. There's more competition for paid work, but it's nice that there's new generations coming up as well. It's nice to meet people that have just started out and, you know, it's, they ask your advice and, um, uh, and it's just nice to see them develop. You know, you haven't seen them for a while and you see how they've changed and improved mm-hmm. generally. So yeah, it's on the whole, it's uh, supportive and protective as well. And what about venues? Are we are we blessed with venues in Birmingham? We're all right. We're all right. I mean, there's there's the big clubs. You know, there's obviously the Glee, and there is what used to be Jongleurs, but I don't, um, it's now at um, I can't remember the name of the night, but it's a nightclub called Prism, which is at the top of Broad Street. Mm-hmm. And there's just the Tonic as well, which is a big comedy chain. But there's lots of really nice little clubs. So in Sutton Coalfield, you've got the comedy. Junction, which is at the Station Pub, oh, which has cool. been going for about 18, 19 years, which is a really lovely gig to play. And they they get people like um, Ross Noble, Richard Herring, uh, Rod Gilbert, Russell Howard, coming there to, to do like pre-tour warm-up shows. So I've, I've been lucky enough to, to compare some of them and um, supported Russell Howard when he did his. So it's really nice. They know it's a great, well-supported little comedy club. It holds mm-hmm. about 80 people. So there's that, and then there's um, yeah, there's some really nice little nights that have started up in the last year, in the Jewelry Quarter, um, in the City Centre, um, and then people try and start nights that don't last very long, but the good intentions are there. So there's a lot of willing, mm-hmm. but running a night is uh, it's a it's a commitment. It can be a bind, you know. I used to run a very occasional comedy night at the Crescent, and it was uh, only like every I don't know three months when I could yeah. be asked, basically. Yeah, yeah. But I found that a bind because I'd have to, you know, write new jokes because I was comparing it. And there was a very, very limited budget. And there was always a danger that people would pull out because they'd been given a, offered a better paid gig, that sort of thing. Mm. So it's, it's, it's very stressful. Yeah. And even, you know, the Crescent was a great venue. It was already set up for performance, whereas a lot of venues aren't. So you've got to put the extra work in, make sure the management are behind you. And yeah. Can you get a budget and that sort yeah. of thing? It's, so I admire people that are, 
that start managed to start them. them up and maintain them. Yeah, mm. and starting an audience is difficult as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, with anything, there's a lot of competition for audiences, isn't there? So, it's, yeah, you know, so it's yeah. it's quite tricky to get stuff going. I mean, comedy is big at the moment, isn't mm. it? Like just sort of nationally, mm. it's kind of sort of been a bit rock and rolly, hasn't it, for comedy over the last few years? It has, yeah. Um, I'm, I still think there should be more stand-up on TV mm. um, because what you get is stand-ups come through, you know, onto TV and then they're given a vehicle. Yeah. So it's um, panel shows, which I don't mind. I, you know, I think they're great. Or they're given, you know, they they host a show or they're given something to do rather than do what they're brilliant at, which it's is stand-up. Up. Of course, there's, there's Live at the Apollo, which is massive. But again, it's, uh, you know, getting on there, it's uh, obviously it's a dream for everyone, but there's such a small amount of people that would get on there compared to the, the how big the scene is. Um, so, yeah, but it has it has made a comeback. And so, like, on programmes like Britain's Got Talent over the last couple of years, stand-up acts have got through yes. you know, to the final and won it, you know, if not to the semi-final. So it, it is coming back. People have always liked it. But I do think there should be more of it on TV. Mm. Yeah. And more just sort of like just, genuine stand-up. Just genuine stand-up, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a problem, isn't it? I think, I guess, with all all artistic stuff mm. at the moment, because audiences are getting smaller for the traditional media yeah. and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are scared of trying new things, I think, yeah. aren't they? And then as soon as some... And of course, the problem with that is the things that get successful and are brilliant are the things that are really original. Yeah. So, I don't know, Killing Eve is massive because it's completely different. Mm. And probably somebody took a risk on on doing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe Fleabag's a better example actually, because yeah. that was a one woman show, yes. wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that had its own success, had yeah, its own yeah. legs, and yeah. then someone's commissioned it, and then all of a sudden mm. it's huge. Mm. But the idea of having something completely new coming in, I think, there's a lot of, and it's the same with music. You know, if you've got genuinely original music, it doesn't mm. sound like what's in the top forty. Yeah, then oh, it's a bit, it's a bit dangerous. But of course, the other side of that is. It kind of doesn't matter because there's so many avenues for people to get their stuff out now to True. potentially small audiences, yeah, yeah, but loyal audiences, yeah. yeah, which in a way could be better, I guess. And that's maybe coming back to the Twitter thing. Mm-hmm. Um, for you, that's an avenue to get that material it out is. there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And does that lead as well to the other thing? Have you, have you booked gigs through Twitter? Have you had people take at shows through I, Twitter? It, 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 it can be good, yeah. I have, um, yeah, uh, it's one of the things it, it led to for me was um, I posted these um, stupid Ladybird book covers that oh, yeah. I adapted um, and made you know made into jokes basically. And a greetings card company contacted me through that and said we'd like to use some of your designs. And I said, well, you know, I don't want to break any copyright with Ladybird. And they said, no, Ladybird are on board and they liked your design, so we'd like to use some of them. So yeah, so I sent off about about twenty of them and they used seven. So and it, they do it with other people as well. I'm not the only person. I wasn't the first person to ever do it. So that was nice, mm-hmm. nice little, uh, little sideline. Um, but yeah, you can get uh, gigs. It's helped me, uh, for example, if I've been like recently, I was booked for a gig in London. I was supposed to be the opening act, and then the person that ran the gig followed me on Twitter, and she really liked my stuff, and then she bumped me up to the the closing act, which was fantastic. Yeah, because mm. it's um. It's more money. It's not about the money, obviously, but um, <laughs> it it's nice. Uh, yeah, so that's nice. Um, so it can lead to it, and people, um, people just people just know what you do, what you're doing. Mm. You, you have a sort of a presence 
Um, a brand. A brand, almost, yeah. But I, people have said to me, you should try and monetize it. I don't know how to monetize Twitter. What I would like to do is I'd like to write jokes for other people as well, which I could I could find out about, but I've just been too lazy to do anything about it. But that's something for the future. I'd like to maybe get into that sort of writing. Yeah, because I see a lot of that on Twitter. It's like, um, will be a comic, but they're written for, yeah. I don't know, panel shows or whatever. Or something. Yeah, so it's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, that's an interesting world. I can see that. That's yeah, it's, a- it's, you know, a lot of people do it. You know, people think that, um, you know, a lot of the comedians on TV write all their own stuff. But once they're on TV, they don't, you know. Yeah. Um, I guess it'd be really... It's almost impossible. If you're doing a weekly, the amount of material, again, with the Twitter, yeah. that's what I was interested about, that. Um, the amount of material you'd have, you'd have to get through. Because that's the people, a million whatever people have seen it, so yeah. you can't really reuse it, yeah. I guess. Though. Yeah, exactly. So if it's, it's a, a week, yeah, if, if you're on there, every, like, let's say Mock of the Week, if you're on there every so often, then I know people like Gary Delaney, for example, did write all his own stuff, um, and he would test it out, because I went to a few of those new material gigs. But if you're hosting a show, for example, and you're on there every week, yeah. you have to get someone else to yeah. to help you write. And it's usually people people that the writers know, uh, sorry, that the, uh, the the host knows because they will know their style. Yeah. Um. So it's yeah, I I'd, I'd like to maybe get into that sort of thing as well. Yeah. In the future. Um. How are you with comparison? Do you compare yourself to the people in the circuit? No, I don't actually. Um. Because. I, because I'm totally unique. Well, yeah, sure. Um, well, that's what I thought. I think uh, I, I don't know. I wouldn't know who to compare myself to. I, I look at other people. I can compare them with, you know, with other established and not so established acts. Mm. But myself, I don't know really because I don't tell stories and I don't do just one-liners. So I don't know. I I can't think of anyone else doing the same. Doing thing. exactly the same thing. There might be, or maybe. There are, and I just wasn't paying attention because uh, I wasn't on stage. So, you know, <laughs> what should I watch? Um, but I don't know. I don't know who I'd compare myself. I, I mean, I've got loads of influences over the years. So, yeah, my first comedy influence was uh, Victoria Wood, um, mainly women, actually, it's got to be said. Uh, so, French and Saunders, um, Joan Rivers, um, who else? Um, there was an American comedian called Rita Rudner. I used to love her. Um, and then in more recent time, well, Joe Brand, I love Joe Brand. And then people like Peter Kay. I think I, used to, I mean, he gets a lot of flack, but I think he's amazing. Um, Eddie Izzard, um, I really like Rod Gilbert. Um, and there's some acts who are not that well known that I have been influenced by as well. People like Joe Enright, mm-hmm. who's local Brummie comedian. She's been on TV occasionally. She's been in Peter Kay and she's been in um, a few BBC sitcom things. But she's um, she's the one that sort of inspired me to try and do more voices, more characters, more accents. Um, Janice Connolly, Barbara Nice as well. She's an inspiration. Um, I've never seen her not able to play a room. She can just take on any audience and by the end of it, they'll love her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so... I can't remember the question. But. I was asking about comparison. <laughs> yeah. how, how about career-wise, then, in terms of other people's... Um, do you look at someone's, oh, they've had that gig, I wish I'd had that gig, or um, does it not work? I, no, I mean, I my aim isn't to be on telly. I I don't think it, that's for me. 
I would, I just like, I just like entertaining people and I just want to carry on doing that. Mm -hmm. But I sometimes, I sometimes might look at people on TV, for example, and I I think, why are you there? Because what they're doing, I know why they're there because they've been working at it hard for years and years and they've got really, a really great agent and they work for it, of course. But I will look at their material and I think, do I do better material than that? Sometimes I think I do. Mm. So I don't know. It's and I don't. It's not in a bitter way. I just think is is that is that the standard mm. that we're aiming towards? Because I mean, you know, it doesn't doesn't happen often. You know, it's very rare. But sometimes I will look at someone and think, I, I don't know. Is that the best you can do? You know, or is that mm. the best that we we're expected to do? Mm. Yeah. Mm. And would that be someone you didn't know until they were on? seen them on that TV show um, does it happen yeah. where it's people you've seen in no it's usually someone I, I didn't know in real life because yeah. that's interesting if you are aware of someone like on the circuits and them live mm. or whatever mm. and then they're doing the TV thing can you see that there's a difference in what they're doing for TV or people not? I know people I know on the circuit who are on TV are the same people really mm. yeah they Good. tend to they haven't changed really as far as I can tell they might have changed before they went on TV they've changed their style over the years I can certainly think of one or two that have completely changed their sort of persona mm-hmm. um, but the way they are on TV is the same as they were before they were dis- just before they were discovered to go on TV um, people you know people like um, uh, Joe Lysett for example Sarah Millican they are the same Um there's some new people coming through, like people like Darren Harriet is a Brummie comedian and he's just started being on TV and he is exactly the same mm. doing his set as his set is exactly the same as it was in, before it's in TV. Yeah. Room, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So that's good. generally the people I know, yeah, they're, they're, they're the same people. That's good. Mm. And I guess that's maybe one side of the fact of how, um, how big stand-up is in that sense of you know mm. panel shows and whatever that they do need people to be quite different to each other, mm. don't they? I suppose. Yeah. So that's that's yeah. maybe yeah. where yeah. they're actually now looking for people who have a, a difference about them. I think so. Yeah, I think Which is encouraging. they're finally looking for more diverse acts as well. I think, yeah. Finally. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not all you know straight middle-aged white men or not even middle-aged straight like twenty thirty something white men. Which it had, it which had dominated yes. for years. I think finally now you're getting, you know, um, more black and uh, minority ethnic acts on. You're getting more f- women. You're getting more gay acts. So it is, it is happening. It is, <clears throat> um, but it's still, it's still kind of dominated by that um, demographic that has traditionally dominated. And I wonder why that is. I wonder if it's if it's to do with the people who are commissioning stuff or whether it's to do with what they think an audience is going to be I think, into. I think a bit of both, I think. And again, that thing of being scared of taking... Well, it's not. it shouldn't be taking a risk, but maybe they view it as taking a risk. I think so, yeah. Um, it depends what they're trying to do, I think. If it was... If it's for... Um, like if it's for just a, a straight stand-up show, I I, I can't imagine which way they would go, like a commissioner now, would they say, would they prefer, you know, the, the four or like three white dudes and a girl performing or would they go for a real diverse lineup? I don't know. It's hard to work out mm. what their train of thought is now. Mm. 
but generally in comedy terms on TV and in, in, you know, in the media in general, it is a lot more diverse. And I think people realize that that's, it does reflect society. Mm. You know, it has to, mm. there's got to be truth in it. Yeah. And yeah, that's, and it, and it'll be able to appeal to a wider audience as well. That's, I think that's the main thing, isn't it? You've got to, it's a, it's a diverse world and mm. there's, <laughs> people out there are going to want to be represented. Mm. So, and they aren't being necessarily, yeah, are they? True. um, Interesting. Okay, uh, a final thing. Then. Final on. thought. I like to ask this as well. We've kind of gone there a bit, but just to get a final point. What would be your definition of success, creativity-wise? Um, I think, for me, it would be, did I did I do what it says on the tin? You know, did, did I entertain people? Mm. Um... Do people respect what I do? Trust me, you know, so can they trust me to do this gig, for example, or would they recommend me to someone for writing or that sort of thing? So I think it's, it's, do you have the, the respect and recognition Mm -hmm. of not just audiences, but your peers as well? I think Mm -hmm. for me, it's not, it's not about the money. The money's nice, but it's not about the money. Um, and it's not about fame. I don't want to be famous. I don't want to be on telly. But I think it's just doing, doing what um, you know. If you're a comedian, are you funny? Yeah. If you're an entertainer, you entertain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's it. Success successfully. Good. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. That's it. No, it's pleasure. Where can Thank people you. find you if they want to hear these um, jokes? Well, I, uh, I, I would say Twitter is probably the go-to place. Yeah. Um, I used to have a website. But I don't anymore because I don't know how to do one, and it was being hosted by my friend's boyfriend, and they split up. Okay. So, um, selfish, yeah, selfish of them, um, and that's now dead. So, um, <laughs> Twitter is the, until I can work out how to do a website. Yeah, Twitter's the main place. Yeah. So, my handle is at Craigito. So it's Craig, and then U I T O. Okay, there we go. People should follow you. Please do. Thank you so much, Craig. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. You may leave. (laughs) Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. See you next time on the Robert Lane Creative Careers podcast. If you could subscribe to the podcast, share it, like it, comment on it, review it, tell all your friends about it, all of those things would be fantastic because the more that people do that, the more that new people get a chance to hear the podcast, join the community and enjoy the content that we're putting out. You can find me at robertlanemusic.co.uk and I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as Robert Lane Music. Please get in touch, let me know if you're enjoying the programmes and who you think I should talk to in the future. Thank you, till next time, goodbye.